I always enjoy that one song, I'm counting on God. I'm counting, I'm counting, I'm counting on God. And that's exactly what the church needs to be doing, should always be doing. But certainly now, as we are in some weird times, uh, unusual times, um, uh, I hope that you understand that the picture I'm about to paint uh, is a gloomy picture, but it's the one that's in the Word of God. It's the one that's in the Word, and right now God is giving us opportunities to be able to get our life straight, our act together. There are certain things that He calls us to do that we must do in order to achieve victory. And this is what I am here to give you. I don't want anybody from New Hope fumbling the ball, uh, falling in these last days where things are they're crazy. They're just winding down. Time is really weird. It's, it's probably the weirdest it's ever been in my life, and I think in a lot of people's lives. And so we're going to look at it. In Genesis 49.1, this is kind of the whole idea here tonight is to simply do what Jacob did. It says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, we've got elections coming up. I mean, I'm planning on voting Tuesday. There are some elections that we're having, and so I'm going to vote. We've got elections coming this time next year. Absolutely, get out there and vote. But I'm telling you that God has a plan and a purpose. And what, um, and it's going to come to pass. And so this is where we are. In Zephaniah 1, 14, starts to shed some light. It says, the great day of the Lord is near. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly. This is where we are now. I mean, it's like pedal to the metal now. It is hastening greatly. Keep trying to tell you and warn us that you could wake up tomorrow and everything that you have known to be the same forever is going to be different someday. Totally, absolutely different. And so as he says that this day is coming quickly, even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. It says that day is the day of wrath, the day of trouble and distress, the day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now look, a lot of people in the world sense this. A lot of people in the world sense this is different than it has ever been. There's always been a pastor somewhere saying it's the last days. We understand that. But there are so many things that are lining up out there that has never lined up before, and now even the unchurch is saying, this is weird. Stuff is crazy that's going on out there. And you can see it in the various thickness, in the darkness, hopelessness. What is it? I heard the other day of the poll, 70% of Americans believe that America's going the wrong way, going in the wrong direction. Verse 16 says, A day of the trumpet and alarm against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men. Because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as the dust, and their flesh as dung. Verse 18, I don't think you can't watch TV for 15 minutes without getting at least two or three commercials about buy, I don't have any, buy gold, right? Like that is your new Savior, gold. Well, let's read 18. Neither their silver nor the gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. 
But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall uh, make an, make even a speedily reddance of all them that dwell in the land. God said, you can hoard up your gold, you can change, you can do this and you can do that, but there is coming a day, it's, it's going to be so fair, so evil, that even your gold is going to be silly and ridiculous. I wanted to give you the message title this morning, uh, tonight because I have changed it on the paper. It's called God's Treasury. God's Treasury. Now before you start sitting real heavily on your wallet, it's not about your money. Okay, before you start going, oh, there's one of those. Pa-. No, it's not. So you just just listen as we see that the though you understand even the one the one world system is coming to pass. the The dollar can't recover because it's going to be a, a one where one world monetary system that's coming to pass. It is. I mean, Greece is bankrupt. Italy's about bankrupt. America is bankrupt. So all these various systems that are failing and continue to fail, they had this, they come up with this patchwork to bail out Greece last week. Did you see it? And Greece turned it down and our stock market plummeted like 300 points. So you want to say, that's Greece got to do, it got everything to do with us now. It's a global system. And so the, the, all this, all these thinkers and these people are going to come together with this great idea of having this one monetary system, most likely in a lot of your lifetimes. So you better listen. Now, Joel 2 tells us in verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. The end, as we know it, is coming. Now look, don't pull the normal Christian reaction. Are you listening? Don't become the ostrich Christian. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to get it. You just go boom. You just pretend all this stuff, it's happening. It's all around us. So you need to listen so you can take proper steps that God gives us. And this is what we're going to see. One Peter tells us in chapter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. They're saying this thousands of years ago. End simply means termination. The terminations of all things is at hand. Hand means it's close. It's approaching. The end of everything is approaching. The end of life as we know it. Now, I'm not even, I'm not talking about that when the Lord comes back and we're raptured out here. I'm talking about everyday life. The system that we have to live in. The bills that we pay and how we pay it and the money that we receive. All this stuff. It's going to be the end of the past. And sometimes I, I, um, think of the past. Wouldn't it be kind of nice to be like that again? I mean, way in the past where it seemed like. Like, um, this is the time of year they'll play the movie, hopefully, uh, Wonderful Life, like when George Bailey lived. You know, back then, good old Bedford Falls. Can't we just go back? No, it's, it's the end of the past. It's even the end of the present, how we know it, and the end of the future. Now, you can stick your head in the sand, but it's not going to change it at all. So you need to listen. How do we prepare? How do we get ourselves ready for for all this stuff that's coming on and soon to meet God? Well, the other part of 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, 
But the end of all things is, is at hand. Now listen, please, listen. Be ye therefore sober and watch. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Sober, watch, and unto prayer. These are three things God's telling us what to do. Now listen, to be sober means to be of sound mind. Sound mind. You might think, I got, man, there's a lot. Our nation has a tons, hundreds and thousands of people who no longer have a sound mind. And God is telling us to have a sound mind means to, to curb one's passion. Use self-control. Have a sound mind. Don't give yourself to things that you shouldn't. God says, be sober. Matthew, or Mark 5, 15 tells us this. And they came to Jesus and, and see him that was possessed with the devil and had legions sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. So in order to have a right not mind, you need to come to Jesus. This guy was tormented. He was filled with demons, legions. And he would have the, uh, he would do the silliest, ridiculous, cutting himself and bleeding and screaming. He had no control of himself at all. No self-discipline. No sober mind until he came to Christ. And it's ridiculous, because look what it says. He's now sitting in his right mind, and now they're afraid. Sitting in his right mind, this is what God does. Charges you to sit in your right mind, and you start really seeing black and white and what God really means and figuring things out through the Word of God. And so God wants us to have this sober mind in the midst of the chaos that's coming upon the earth, and God says, don't panic, because I'm doing this. And I'm giving you what you need to get through this. God says, number one, a sober, sound mind. So you must come to Jesus in order to have that. Not a visit, not a drive-through. No, come in, throw your $5 into the window and bless me, Jesus. It's coming to Him and surrendering your life to Him. John 6.37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. God says, they come to me. They come. They come. <clears throat> so there's something supernatural about even coming to Jesus. In fact, you can't even come here without the Spirit of God pulling you here. You're not here because your buddy asked you. It's the Spirit of God. I'm glad your buddy asked you, but it's God wooing you and bidding you to come here. So that you may even receive and hear this tonight. A sound mind or something about coming to Jesus. So that sober means sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, listen, powerful. Goes right along with the ladies' Bible study. I know I keep saying that. And it's not just to pump the Bible study up. It's, it's so vital. The mind. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You don't have to be out of control, not knowing what to do. Am I going to live? What about my kids? Oh, God says, no, 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 I haven't given you that. I've given you power, and I've given you a sound mind. And when the spirit of fear comes upon you, you need to cast that thing down, because that's not from God. God's telling you right there, I haven't given you that. 
So this soberness means to curb one's passions and and self-control. Romans 8.13 says this, For if you live after the flesh, that's that carnal nature that we talked about today, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So your job is to kill them when they rise up within you. You cannot stand before God and say, I just couldn't help it. When God gives you a remote, you don't even have to move. All you got to do is press your finger, and it turns that filth off if it comes on. You can't stand before God. It's, it's impop- God says the Spirit of God's moving inside of you. Just kill those things. Do what I say, and it'll work, God says. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, listen, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. That's what we should be in this world. Strangers and pilgrims. Pilgrims moving on. Not anchoring in. This is not your home. Strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust. Listen, which war against the soul. A war going on inside. When you feel that war, you need to do something. They had a picture of a sword up there a little while ago. You need to get your sword. What's going on? Carnal nature is trying to take over. And you got to do something. This is the war that goes on. God says, man, you need to abstain from that. That means to do without. Refrain from. Fleshly lust. Stop it. Not just a little bit. Well, I used to do ten. Now I'm down to two. Well, okay, but that's not good enough. Need to absolutely stop it. Stop it. Like burn the bridge behind you. Turn around and say, in the name of Jesus, no more. And you set that bridge on fire. I told many of you I was drunk when I got saved. Long time ago. Drunk when I got saved. Now, how foolish would it be for me? I got victory over it. But I keep a bottle of whatever, some hooch, in the bottom drawer of my desk. In my office. Now, how, how silly would that be? What's going to happen to me? Sooner or later, I'm going to be bummed out or mad at God or disappointed, discouraged, tired of being stabbed in the back, and for heaven's sakes, out comes the bottle. So God just tells you, no, you, got, you just stop that stuff. You absolutely stop it. So don't put it away. Don't give it away. Get rid of it. Same with all the books and all the channels and everything else that, abst- that causes you to not be sober-minded. Because here's what happens. Listen, your sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And so the things of the world and the fleshly lusts and the car, they make this dull. Can't cut butter. I could be preaching on the anointing. You could be looking at it. It could be on 12 by 12 screens and it's doing nothing to you. It's dull in your life. Nothing. Because of all the various things you get yourself into. And now it becomes dull. So God says, here's, here's the answer. Refrain from that. Keep a sober mind, a sound mind. I've given that to you. The second thing is to watch. Be discreet. Be careful. Be discerning. You understand there are lying wonders and lying miracles. God says, watch. Be careful. Man, Christians are like the little birdies in the nest. Doesn't matter what comes. If you, if you got one that's kind of close, watch them and their mouth soon go open. You just walk over there. Walk over there to the lit little firecracker. What are they going to do? 
That's just like us. So God says, be discreet, be careful, be discerning. This must be your filter. Filter everything. Everything. Filter it through the Word of God. So God says, be discreet, be careful, be discerning. Peter tells us again, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Hear that one, ladies. Gird up. Don't let them just flop open to anything. Gird them up. Don't let anybody play with your mind and your thoughts, whispering filth and things into your heart. Through our, through our marriage, there were certain words that we said, we don't want to ever say these words. We don't even want them to ever say, to, to get a foothold or a little niche into our hearts because of the word. It just gets in there. So God says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word gird means to be prepared, fasten up. Fasten up, just don't let something. If you go to a movie and you were told it was nice and it turns raunchy, get up and get out. So what it cost you that? Get out. Fasten it up. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That word loins means power. Power. The enemy knows what to attack. So God just gird them up. Fasten that power. Harness it with the word of God. And that word mind means understanding. So he says, be prepared. Fasten up the power of that understanding. Like the, the bit in the horse. Ho! We're not going there. Do it. Do it to yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, no more. No more. You're going to tell me this. No more. You're going to make me do this. No more. You're going to say this. No more. Do it. Wait till they all leave. If you think that's silly. Get in there and turn on the light. Look at yourself dead in the eyes. I'm telling you, you stare at yourself dead in the eyes. You're going to go, ooh, there's two of us in this room. And you look at that other person and say, no more. I'm going to serve God till I drop dead. Do you hear me? Do it. So God's telling us to be prepared to fasten up the power of the understanding of your mind. Third one is prayer. My goodness, we shouldn't even have to preach on this. It should be a given. My house shall be called a house of? God said, the Lord said that. And most of the time, it's not. It's not. God says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 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 Definition of prayer here is a place set apart. A place set apart. You must cultivate this. You must do it as an individual, and we must do it together as a body. We must. Wednesday's good. Saturday's better. Saturday's better than Wednesday? No. Wednesday's good, and then adding Saturday to Wednesday is better. That's the time we're in now. It is. Matthew 21, 13 says, And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. That's how you know that. Because it's in the Word. God says it's right there. A place set apart. God says, to get a hold of me so I can convict you of this, this flap in your mind. You're, it's too loose. Fasten it up. So God can speak. And look, so that you, the word says sharp. You are easily and quickly pricked. Oh, you're right, God. Instead of 
<clears throat> you're like, what? I don't, I don't feel nothing. I'm not hurting anybody. Exodus 3, 5 says, And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And that's the place set apart. That's what this place must be. We got our fellowship hall. You got a flyer in there. Kind of explains it. You need more. Told you what to do. But we ain't letting stuff go on over there. We have security, big guys. Ain't gonna be some boozing because I'm not here, or smoking, or that. No way. This is God's place. This is the Lord's house. It is. You remember what happened to Belshazzar? He was the king, and they're boozing it up and having a party in the house of God and ran out of cups. And he went, man, go into the holy temple and get those cups. Pouring all that stuff into just tin cups, gold cups, whatever, just a cup. Just like this buck, just an inanimate thing, just a cup. In went the booze, down it went. God's finger showed up on the wall. You have been weighed and found wanting. That night he died. God took him out. You don't play with the holy things of God. You just don't. And so, prayer is a place set apart. Exodus 33, 21 says, And the Lord said, Oh, behold, there is a place. I remember the first time I saw it, I said, How awesome this is, God. There is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon this rock. The rock is Jesus. And when you come to the Father, you pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, there is a place. The Word of God tells us, and this is Moses when he was beseeching thee, Oh, God, oh, God, show us your glory. And he says, oh, I will. And there is a place upon this rock. And he said, my glory is going to be so awesome, you're not going to be handled. I'm going to have to cover your face. Why are you covering my face, Lord? So you won't die because I'm so awesome and so holy. That's what we want in this place. That's what we want when, when people, you and I and the, the heathen, whoever, pulls up on the parking lot, they start to tremble. There's something different about this place. Should I tread on thin ice? Who wants me to tread on thin ice? Snatch your kid up if they start running through this sanctuary. Stop that. It's the house of God. Stop it. Let's treat it the way it should be. A holy place. Okay, this fourth point. All those are absolutely essential. Sound mind, sober. You must watch. Absolutely watch. Be a person of prayer. Be discreet. Stop swallowing everything the enemy dangles. And, and he might have a Bible in his hand or a tie on his shirt. And you think it's godly. Stop swallowing all that stuff. Be discerning. Gird up the loins of your mind. Man, start having a practice of prayer somewhere. Last Saturday, if you thought about praying and didn't, you blew it. I mean, the presence of God was, was awesome, but even in a worldly sense, we started at 7.30, prayed for an hour, and stopped at 7.30. Didn't we? You didn't even lose time, and you could have come and spent time. Okay. Lastly and most important, Mark 12, 41. This is why I mentioned the title, God's Treasury, and I'm not talking about your physical money, God will deal with you as He sees fit there. 
Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. The poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Two. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I mean, can you imagine people dropping all this money in? Two little coins. And she probably didn't throw them down. She probably was like us and kind of embarrassed and just kind of put them way in. And Jesus is going, Peter, now come here. Everyone, come here, come here. And he goes on and explains this. He says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. And I'm sure they were just kind of like us. You, know, you know, probably know where I'm going, but they're like, what? Man, this guy gave 100 bucks. He gave two pennies. Listen, this is where we are now. The next verse is where the Church of America is. Listen to what God says. Made an impact to me. I hope it does you. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus or their abundance. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. The Word of God says she has given out of her want. Want. The American church has been giving their servanthood to God out of their surplus. And now God has got this big wheel of surplus. He's going, and he's tightening it around us. You're not going to be able to play as much. I like golfing. To me, golfing's expensive. You just kind of like, and now God is saying the church has to start giving out of its want. What do you want? I don't know how much more time we got. The last few little coins you have in your pocket, throw them all in. God, live or die, sink or swim. Stop giving out of your surplus. That's what we do as the American church. You and I are living in an age that all before us have never seen. They just they have never seen. They've never witnessed what's going on. I mean, when I was young, the countries like Iran and Iraq were nothing. They were sand dunes. That's all they were. was somewhere you would never live and no one's ever going to live and them things. Now look to how everything has changed. You and I are going to see unbelievable changes in the world. Do you understand? We are winding down a year where northern Africa has had revolt after revolt after revolt. And on one hand, you'll be going, yeah, they should be. But I don't think that's true. Because what's going to come in is Muslim leadership. We went all through that. Remember the Muslim Brotherhood? Instead of their voice being going to be squeak, 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 it's now going to be louder, louder, louder. And so all this stuff that keeps crumbling down right before your eyes. Drastic changes, whether you like it or not. America's on a decline like never, never before. I don't know if it will ever be the same. The world is winding down. Time is short. You and I are now at the point where we're going to have to throw it all in. No more out of your surplus. And I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. But I don't know if there's been an American church yet. A person has gone for it all in recent history. You got a little jingling in your pocket. And you're like, why not? 
however much time you got, however much talent you got, whatever you had to offer God, just like the widow. She didn't think she had anything. She's probably walking up that line. Maybe they had the old thermometer and the fundraiser. And they're at 40000 and she's going to go. And I, I walk by, everybody's going, no, it's $40,000 and two cents. She walked in, dropped them, and God stopped everything. You have been given out of your surplus. The American church is drying up. The American influence is drying up. The American church is in want for the power of God, for the power to be displayed amongst us. American church is in want of holiness and purity and righteousness. The American church is in want of influence. Our voice is not heard anymore. We're in want. And we've got to be like this woman. We've got to throw it in. However much time, talent, giftings, whatever I can offer God. It's going in. You understand? It's going in. It, it doesn't matter if it's... You might think this stuff is silly, but I don't. If all you can do is watch children in our nursery, throw them in. Throw it in. God will give of that. The Bethlehem walk, throw it in. Throw it in. I mean, we give from our surplus. Now, I can't remember. I think Troy said they needed six. That's probably six a day, maybe. And if there's over that, about six, six, six. Six of us, we give of our surplus. I already teach. I already do this. I'm an usher. I... Take the two coins. This is what it's going to take in this crazy world. So I'm talking about your efforts. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your passion. We can do it. We can do it. Your passion. All you have is compassion. Throw it in. Throw it in. Hello, I'm so glad to see you. Throw it in. Get up and greet. Hello. Hello, bless you. Throw it in. Quit having it jingle, jingle, jingle in your pocket. God said, it's that time. All. All. Casting your last few coins into the treasury of God, into the kingdom of God, into the work of God, into the purpose of God. Throw it in. Again, Mark 12, 44, for all they did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. And the definition of want is poverty. And the church is poor. We're poor. We're not Churches sitting on big bank accounts, not knowing what to do with them. They've lost the heart of God. They've lost it. And God is telling us, it's, it's time. You've you, you got to just throw it in. This is where we are as a church. Now, I don't know what God's going to ask from you. But maybe tonight will be the first time that you can walk by the treasury box of God. And throw it all in. 
And you're probably sitting there like we talked about this morning. Voices. What do I don't have nothing. So did someone else think they had nothing. Hey, hey, lad, there's a lad there. Bring those few loaves. Two small fish, the word says. He didn't throw a couple whales on the plate. God said they were small fish. John 6, 9 says, there's a lad there which has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? What are they? What, what did God do? What did God go? <laughs> Whitney, you got nothing to offer me. What did God say to Whitney? Bring them. Bring them. Throw them in. Fed 5,000 people and filled up 12 baskets afterwards. From someone, probably, when he's hearing the beckoning of, does anybody have food? Anybody? Probably looking in his lunch. Jeez. Two little fish. And... <laughs> Threw it in. Uh, maybe it'll cost you a lunch. That's pretty small. And then, how about the widow? In 1 Kings 17.11. She was going to make the last meal for her and her son, remember? And as she was going to get it, he called unto her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. The prophet, the man of God. As he speaks the word of God to her. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see... I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Look, God, I, I only have this handful of talent. I, I don't speak well. I don't read good. I can't sing, God. I don't know how you... Bring it, Lenny. Bring your handful of meal. Place it. On God's altar. See what He does. Throw it all in. Throw it in tonight. Let's stand. I want you to cut back the lights as much as possible and let there be a little bit on so we don't stumble. There's a song that we're going to play from the YouTube. It's a song you know, it has the lyrics. It's the one where they sing, Lord, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my all. And it's throwing it in time. Now, you could do it from out there. That's okay. That's fine. But it would be cool if you came down and stood at the altar and did it. Not for show. Not for show. Forget the show. But out of want. Out of poverty. Is your heart sick and broken over the American church? God, where's the power? Where's the holiness? Where's the righteousness? Where's your presence again, God? As you go by God's house, throw yourself in. God, here I am. If you can use anything, please use me.